Well, good morning again, I guess, as we get ready to jump into God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to take it and turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We're going to continue our series, which we began a couple weeks ago, in the life of Joseph. The series titled, The Purposes of God in the Land of Affliction. Genesis chapter 39. Now I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bank a little bit on perhaps that you're familiar with what's going on in Genesis chapter 9 instead of taking the time to read through it. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, which I think many of you are, uh, what's going on by this point is Joseph, of course, was the favored child of Jacob and his uh, ten older brothers did not like the fact that he was the favored child and continued to grow in hatred towards the favorite. And eventually this hatred would cause them, uh, you know, when the time was right, they basically, uh, you know, ganged up on him, threw him in a pit, and intended to kill him, uh, as Brandon shared with us last week, intended to kill him, but Reuben decided, uh, you know, let's not kill the guy, and Judah, you know, in, 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 in an attempt to be more righteous about the whole situation, said, why don't we just sell him to this group of Ishmaelites coming through, which is what happened. And so by the time we land in chapter 39, Joseph has been sold to the Ishmaelites, who then go to Egypt and sell Joseph as a slave to a guy by the name of Potiphar, and uh, who's over, over uh, he's one of the captains of the guard for Pharaoh. Now you know the story. Uh, eventually what happens is Potiphar's wife sets her eyes on Joseph and, and uh, pretty much demands that Joseph sleep with her. And Joseph, uh, remember he's the one, he, she, she grabs the cloak and he ends up running away out of the house in order to avoid sinning in such a way. And Potiphar's wife then fabricates a lie that Joseph had tried to rape her. And eventually, by the end of the chapter, Joseph is in prison after being wrongfully accused. So we're going to talk all through that this morning but just by way of introduction, uh, as, I was, as I was thinking through this passage, uh, Gandalf the Grey is probably one of my favorite characters uh, from J.R.R. Tolkien, Tolkien's uh, uh, novels, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But he's a guy who has, he has like all the power in the world, but mainly what you see him doing in the movies or the books, if you read, uh, is what you see him doing is he basically spends his time encouraging people, motivating people, and kind of trying to you know, give people guidance Throughout, uh, throughout the movie, trying to persuade people to go a certain route or another. And as you watch the movies, he'll often come to a situation, and it's normally, you know, as the enemy is approaching, and he'll assess the situation, and depending on what's going on, he'll either, he'll either shout, run, and wish they all run. Other times he'll say, fight, and wish they all stand and fight. Well, which one is it? And throughout the movie, you never really know. But it's a reminder that there are times to run, and there are times not to run. And when it comes to sin, run. Run from sin and run to Christ. And in those moments when you do sin, run to Christ. What does running to Christ look like? Uh, I think we're going we're to talk a lot about what it looks like throughout the, our time this morning. But it's basically confession repentance, and rest 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, if indeed you do know Jesus. This passage is about a young man experiencing the blessings of God's presence, being overtaken, overtaken by a fierce and unrelenting temptation. Can you relate? And here's the thing. He escaped the temptation. Did you know that's possible? We'll look at what Joseph did to escape temptation, but, but here's what not to do when you're faced with temptation or when it comes to, to how, you, how you handle sin in your life. The first thing not to do is to sit passively, which I think is a tendency uh, we all face. And that is we, bas- we pray you know, for God to remove temptation or to get rid of this sin, and we basically sit down and we wait for God to zap us with some sort of grace to where we will no longer struggle with a certain sin. And so we sit passively, but because we know it's true that God ultimately is the one who empowers us to defeat sin. And so, but what that can lead to is a wrong response, and that is just to sit there and say, well, God, if you're the one who gives me life, and you're the one who gives me the power to conquer sin, well, then here I am. Zap away. And we know that's the wrong response because time and time again in Scripture, we're, we're, we're told to be involved in saying no to sin, in killing sin, in resisting the devil, in resisting sin. So that's one response is we can just sit there passively. Another response we can have towards sin is a, a heartless obedience. That is to say, if we are sin or we're facing temptation, well, we, can, we can turn our lives into this sort of heartless mechanical obedience where our lives and everything we do is trying to earn God's favor. As if we're trying to pay off our sins to God and we, we, we got a sin or we got a tendency or an attitude or an addiction, whatever it might be, and we just can't shake it. So we think, well, if I just go to church, if I just do these certain things, God will then, if I listen to Christian music, I'll earn God's favor back. And again, this comes from the fact that we know that God does give us commands. But this response is wrong because God's commands were never meant to be done half-heartedly or done to earn his favor. Basically what we're saying is we're, we're all prone when it comes to our sin to self-salvation. We're prone to doing good works to save us from guilty feelings. We're going to talk a lot more about that. By the time we get to Genesis 39, Joseph is far from living the pampered life of being Jacob's favorite son. But God would send him into circumstances that would mold his character and fortify his faith far more than being a pampered son of Jacob ever could have done for him. And here in chapter 39, he faces a very real and prompting temptation to sin. And Joseph needed to escape. He didn't need to escape Egypt. He didn't need to escape Potiphar's house. He needed to escape sin. And by God's grace, he had an escape route. Joseph is, is basically, in chapter 39, Genesis 39 is the narrative form of 1 Corinthians 10.13. You know the verse, don't you? It says, there is no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And in this chapter, we see temptation overtake Joseph. 
We see the faithful presence of God with Joseph. We see the provision of escape. We see the ability to resist. We see the endurance. Notice there it says that you may be able to endure it. it was, we, we read uh, in, this, in this that it was day after day after day in verse 10 that Potiphar's wife came to him to try to get him to sleep with her. And so my goal today is to show you through Joseph's example how to escape from sin and how to treasure and love your Savior above all. So let's get into it. In order to escape sin, you'll need three things. In order to escape sin, number one, you'll need the presence of God through Christ. You'll need the presence of God through Christ. That's verses one to six. Now Joseph, uh, verse one, had been brought to Egypt and he, he ends up in, the, in Potiphar's house. And verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, the bookends of this chapter are found in verse 2 and in verse 21. If you look at verse 21, and, and it's the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. So at the beginning of the chapter, at the end of the chapter, it's that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph, cursed by his brothers, sold by the Ishmaelites to Potiphar, turns to be a blessing for those he doesn't even know. But it's because the Lord was with him. God was with him to bless Joseph and the blessing on Joseph became a blessing to Potiphar. And Potiphar, in turn, as we just read, he puts Joseph as overseer of all of his house. And then God blesses the house of Potiphar. This is a direct fulfillment of what, what God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Remember what God promised Abraham? I will bless those who bless you. And this is Potiphar blessing one of the descendants of Abraham and God keeping his promise that he would bless those who bless him. The presence of God is a key theme we need to understand in this chapter. Now, why do we need the presence of God? And again, it's because this story isn't about Joseph being a hero. So when we come to chapter 39, it's like we jump in and all of a sudden, like the first thing we read is Joseph facing temptation and escaping it. And we're just left to say, man, Joseph must have been this really upright dude who just did everything right. He must have been really good. No, it starts with the presence of God in Joseph. Joseph isn't the one being put on the pedestal here. God is. So let's talk about the presence of God. First, I want to note that some of you are without God's presence completely. That is, he doesn't dwell within you because of your sin and because you've never trusted in Christ to save you from your sin. And you will spend eternity in hell apart from God's presence forever. Because you never trusted Jesus to save you. But when you do trust in Christ, God comes to dwell within you through his Holy Spirit. And many of you are Christians. 
And God does dwell within you through his Holy Spirit. Yet many of you, I would, I would say if we took a survey, many of you would probably say that you, you don't really feel or experience the blessings of God's presence in day-to-day life. And the answer to that, to why that is, could be real simple. It could be what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. In order to escape sin, we need God's presence. And if you're in here and you, you know you have the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, God dwells in you, yet you say, man, I'm going through life and I'm not experiencing the, the blessings of an intimate relationship with Jesus in my day-to-day life. It could be that your sin is separating you from those blessings. We often say, you've ever said this, that, that, that so-and-so, maybe it's a Christian, so-and-so has walked away from the Lord, or somebody isn't walking with the Lord. What are we saying by that? What do we mean by that? Well, we mean that the fellowship that they have with God positionally, that is the Holy Spirit being in them, isn't, they're not really experiencing that blessing. It's not really being lived out practically. All Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit have, still have a sin nature, so sin is going to be around. Okay, we get that. But when that sin is embraced and it's left unconfessed and unrepented of, then we will no longer experience the blessing of intimacy with Christ. Instead, Hebrews chapter 12 actually it tells you what kind of experience you're going to have if you hold on to your sin. He talks about, uh, the writer there talks about we're going to be, we're going to kind of feel weary and faint-hearted. We're going to have, he pictures as like drooping hands and weak knees. We're going to feel a burden of displeasure from God. We're going to sense that we're in desperate need of spiritual healing. And experientially from day to, on day-to-day life, we will be separated from the blessings of walking in intimacy with Christ. Yes, all this describes a Christian who allows sin to become in between him or her and God. And yes, this describes every single one of us who are Christians time and time again throughout our lives. As a matter of fact, Hebrews says, if you don't experience what I just listed, Hebrews 12 says, then you're not saved. And you don't truly know Jesus. If the sin you embrace and leave unconfessed and the sin you leave in your life and you don't repent of it, if it doesn't leave you weary and faint-hearted and feeling some sort of burden of displeasure from God, if it doesn't leave you in a sense that I am in need of desperate spiritual healing, then he says, God's not disciplining you. Which means God isn't with you. Which means you'll experience punishment for that sin, but it'll be for eternity in hell. Christian, the remedy is to draw near to God in times of sin. We draw near to God through confession and repentance. You can tell God your sin because he already knows it. And Christian, you can tell God your sin because Jesus already died for it. You don't have to wait to pay it off. Any sin you commit, whether you commit the sin three times a day for 30 years, Jesus paid for it. He died for it. And when you bring your sin to God, he's not going to reject you or condemn you. He'll draw near to you. Isn't that what James chapter 4 verse 8 says? James 4, 8, draw near to God. And what's God going to do in return? He'll draw near to you. Now notice the next words he uses to describe this person. You think draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That must be for the people who are like super spiritual and go to church every Sunday. 
not. What's the next? Cleanse your hands. You sinners, you sinners, draw near to God, and he's going to draw near to you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You double-minded sinful Christians is what he's saying. You draw near to God, and God's going to draw near to you. Here's what James is saying, and here's what Joseph shows us. Undiluted worship leads to undivided fellowship. And if our lives are diluted with unconfessed sin, then we will not experience the blessing of intimacy with Christ. So if you want to escape sin, you have to have what Joseph had. The blessing of an intimate relationship with God, and for us it's through Christ. Now we're told something at the end of verse 6. I want you to look at it. That's That's going to set up the rest of the story here as we move into the next one. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, so, so now here the story is set up. Joseph, okay, think about this. Joseph, he's a young, unmarried man, handsome in form and appearance. Okay, so he's got the muscles, he's got the looks, he's got it all. So Joseph, a young, unmarried man, handsome in form and appearance, facing the stress of a ser- of series of traumatic events, who, as we'll see in a moment, is left alone with a woman whose husband is largely absent. That's the story. And right there, it's kind of, the, 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 these words signal trouble for us. There is trouble ahead in the midst of this great blessing Joseph is experiencing with his God. So let's move to the next one in verses 7 to 18, kind of the bulk of the story here. We need... In order to escape sin, we need the presence of God through Christ, and then we need the courage to run to Christ. And before we look, just think about this section real quick. Okay, Joseph, as if you're a Christian and you read about Joseph, this is kind of the guy you want to emulate, right? This is the guy who ran away from sin. Not only from sin, this is a young man who ran away from an opportunity that many young men would love to have. And so to us, he's a hero. And we seek to emulate him, and rightfully so. But you should know that in our culture today, Joseph, and any of you, any of us, who respond to sexual sin the way Joseph responded, is going to look like a total buffoon. Our culture says that if you have two consenting adults, they can do anything they want. And that's what our culture calls freedom. Think about in the story here. Think about all the freedom Joseph had. In our culture. I mean, our culture gives us freedom to do it, whatever we want. Joseph's position gave him freedom. Joseph's free time gave him freedom. Joseph's, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife gave him the freedom. And here's what I want to say to all of us as we prepare to face temptation in this world. If you get your definition of freedom from a culture we know is under the power of the evil one, you can be sure of this. It's not freedom. Joseph may end up in prison at the end of all this, but he's the only one who's truly free because he had the freedom to run from sin and run to his God. That's freedom. Paul would write, For freedom Christ has set you free, Therefore, don't submit to another yoke of slavery. Slavery is buying into the lie that 
just do whatever you want. Freedom is found in the forgiveness that Jesus provides. Freedom is found in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Even though Joseph had all the freedom in the world, we would say, to indulge in this night of pleasure. Joseph was an extremely trustworthy man. We learned that. He was extremely trustworthy. That's why Potiphar put him over his entire house. Now God, who's the divine author of the Bible, and Moses, who wrote uh, the human author, now God could have told us about Joseph, like how he didn't cut corners when he did his work, or how he showed great care for uh, the possessions of a man he didn't know, living in a country he didn't know, living in a house he didn't know. God could have done all these things to show us the character of Joseph. But that's not the story we get. Instead, God showed Joseph's character and his trustworthiness when it came to this young man being presented with the opportunity to indulge in something few other young men would have passed up. It reminds me of the rich young man who came to Jesus in Matthew 19. You, you, you remember that. He comes, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. And he lists out a bunch of them. Don't steal. Don't kill. And, and, this, and this rich young guy, he says, well, I've, done, I've, I've kept all those. I haven't committed adultery. I honor my father and my mother. I mean, I, I got it. I'm good to go. What else do I lack? And then Jesus says to him, If you would be made perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. Trade your, basically, trade your worldly treasures for heavenly treasures and come and follow me. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This story, which is antithetical to what Joseph is, the opposite this story, and this story here in Genesis 39 is a reminder that our character is, isn't only judged by the sins we've given up, but by the sins we haven't given up. And as the story reveals, you know the story, Joseph eventually draws the eyes of Potiphar's wife, and she commanded, uh, look at verse 7, she cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay, so this is a command. So probably she thought, well, if my husband is the boss, I'm his wife, so Joseph has to do whatever I say. And that may have been true. But Joseph wanted to obey God rather than man or woman. Joseph didn't want to breach trust with Potiphar, right? He under, because that's what he says in verse 8. Behold, because of my master, he has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything in my charge. Verse 9. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he didn't want to breach trust with Potiphar. He understood that Potiphar's wife was off limits. He didn't want to sin against God. Yet at the end of verse uh, 10, we read, and she spoke, so it wasn't like she was like, okay, good, proud of you. You've got some morals. No, day after day. Day after day after day after day, Joseph, let's go to bed. Joseph, spend the night with me. Joseph, lie with me. Day after day after day. But notice at the end of verse 10, because Joseph didn't just respond with his words. He put, he put it into action. And it says, and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. 
He didn't listen to her. He closed his ears to her. He wouldn't even, notice here it says, it says he would not lie beside her. Remember, she was saying, lie with me. So it was probably a sense, okay, if you're not going to sleep with me, just come, come sit on the couch next to me. None of it. He closed his ears to her. He, he closed his heart to her. And he says he wouldn't even be with her. If he saw her, he was gone. He closed his eyes. He closed his ears. He closed his heart. He closed his eyes to her. Sin had cast its eyes on Joseph, but Joseph's eyes weren't on sin. It's been said that a lustful man is an adulterer waiting for an adulteress to come by. Well, the adulteress came by. But Joseph's eyes were cast on his God. His ears were set to listen to his God. His heart was given to his God. Now, this is completely different. If you, if you notice, we jumped over chapter 38 in our series here because chapter 38 is all about Judah and how he basically did the exact opposite of Joseph. Because not only, it wasn't like a woman came to him and asked Judah in chapter 38, his older brother, to sleep. He actually went and found a prostitute. And he was willing to give up whatever he had to in order for one night of pleasure. We're told in Hebrews 12 that Esau was sexually immoral and unholy and he gave up his birthright for a single meal. Judah in Genesis chapter 38 gave up some things in order to have a night with a prostitute. Which brings us to a question we need to ask ourselves. What am I willing to give up to give in? But the temptation doesn't stop there. It's going to enter into a whole new level of intensity. Okay, so Potiphar's wife, uh, if you look at verse 11, it says, But one day, okay, when he went into the house to do his work, it says none of the men of the house were there. I'm assuming that Potiphar's wife made sure that all the guys were cleared out. I mean, after all, maybe Joseph you know, was maybe a little embarrassed or really wanted to make sure, you know, he didn't get caught. And so I'm assuming here that Potiphar's wife probably had something to do with this. this it, it seems from the text, this is not the normal day-to-day stuff. When Joseph went to the house to do his work, there were other people around. And so Potiphar's wife orchestrates for everyone to be out of the house. And when Joseph arrives for his normal duties, she, she I, mean, I mean, from what we get here, I mean, it's, she caught him by his garment. It's almost like she jumped out of nowhere. And if there was ever a time to sin, it's now. Everyone was gone. He was alone. The moment was right. And this is where character is truly tested and where it's really revealed. Our character, my character, is tested when there's no one else around. It's just me, the sin, and God. And temptation to sin may overtake us, right? We, 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you. You are going to be overtaken by temptation. That's going to happen. Joseph was overtaken. Literally, he was grabbed. And it might overtake us and grip us, and we might be in our hearts and in our very being, we might be shaking at the fear of the temptation we're facing. And it might seem at that moment that it's got us so gripped that there's no way out of it. But Joseph, Joseph, he said, keep the garment, I'm out. And off he ran, half naked, 
Just this morning, I was driving to church on whatever road I take every single day, multiple times for the last 15 months. And I was driving that one road, and, and, and uh, it, was, it was, oh, it was, the sun was just starting to rise, so it was a little dark, but you could see pretty well everywhere. And up ahead on the road, I noticed there was a deer uh, standing in the road, and it was still a couple hundred yards off, and so I figured it turned and saw me, I could, I could see the reflection off its eyes, and so I flashed my brights a few times, and, and it, just, it just looked like a deer in the headlights as I came up upon it. That was bad, I'm sorry. Uh, and so I'm coming up, coming up, and, I'm, and, and it's, just, it's just standing there. It's not moving, no matter what I do. Now, at that moment, I could have said, I'm going to smoke this thing. <laughs> I've been wanting a truck for a long time. <laughs> I've got a Hyundai Sonata with like two horsepower. There's no way this Hyundai Sonata lives through this. My only option to hit it, right? I mean, it came onto the path that I was going on. Well, that's not the only option, was it? I slowed down. I did not hit it. I slowed down, honked the horn, it ran, honked the horn, it ran off, and off I went. Temptations to sin are going to enter the road you're traveling. But there is always, 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 did I say always, a way of escape it's what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22 where he, he writes to this young pastor and he says, flee, run away from youthful passions. Do you think Joseph had youthful passions? Do you think he had sexual temptations? Do you think he had lustful temptations? I think Joseph did and I think Timothy did as well. Flee. Those passions and pursue. This is why I say run to Christ. Run from sin. Run, courageously run to Christ. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And by the way, going back to the deer thing, if you go deer hunting and you encounter a deer, probably not too shocking. And so if you go hunting for sin and you end up sinning, probably not too shocking. We know the conversations that are going to lead us to sin. We know the, the computer clicks that are going to lead us to sin. We know the attitudes that start building in our hearts that are going to lead us to sin. We know, don't we? Let's look at the third one. In order to escape from sin, you need the presence of God through Christ. You need the courage to run to Christ, and you need the patience to wait on Christ. We know uh, the later part of this, Potiphar, he ends up running out, and Potiphar, or Potiphar's wife screams, and the men of the house, which apparently were close enough to hear her scream, it was probably a really loud scream, they come running in, and she basically says, this guy came in to humiliate us, to rape me, and look, he even left his clothes here as proof. And she really told the exact opposite of what happened. And even more than that, as you read through this, she actually blames her husband. And even when her husband walks into the room, in verse 17, she says, uh, she told the same story, verse 17, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. So it's almost like, you know, she, she can get away with the story if she starts, you know, especially with Potiphar, if he starts to realize all the people around him are 
going to kind of start turning against them. He's going to be more likely to do something about this. So Joseph is the recipient of a grievous lie, or the object of the lie. Now he's been the object of two lies. One, more concealed, like Brandon mentioned last week, greatest lies are the lies we don't have to tell. Just Jacob basically came up with a lie himself. But this one is just a blatant lie. And so Joseph now, he is on the wrong end of gross injustice that has altered his course of life. It's caused him hurt, sorrow, fear, and immense trauma. And yet he obeyed God. Psalm 105 uh, is a description of what God does uh, during this time. But Psalm 105 verses 16 through 19 describe Joseph's prison life. So lest we think that Joseph's prison life was, was all happy, at least at first. Here's what Psalm 105 verse 16 through 19 says. When he summoned, that's God, when God summoned a famine on the land and God broke all supply of bread, God had sent a man ahead ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. What happened now? He was sold as a slave to Potiphar. What happens next? His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. And there he sat in prison. And we're going to talk more about this. Months and months he sits in prison until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Dang man, he, he, fled, he escaped sin. I mean, isn't God going to reward him somehow? And the answer is yes. But he's going to have to wait. And you might think, man, being thrown in prison, that's... It's quite the result for someone who trusted in God and endured temptation and escaped from sin. But the testing wasn't done. And neither was Joseph's story. He was sent as a slave, but he would become a prince. Now think about this, the patience to wait on Christ. Now if Joseph decided he was just done, I'm done doing the godly thing, I mean it hasn't really paid off for him so far. But Joseph wasn't a man looking for the payout in this life. He was waiting on Christ. And either we're not, we're not, the, we're not ones waiting, waiting for a payout. For like my, oh God, I am so righteous and good. And I, am, and I hope you hear my sarcasm in that. Like God, I'm so righteous. I deserve so many blessings in this life. We're waiting on Christ. Christ is our reward. Christ is our treasure. Christ is where we're going, to Christ. And what we're finding with Joseph is that whether he's in a pit, a pinch, or in prison, Joseph was the same man, patiently waiting on God. And God continues to bless him. Potiphar throws Joseph in prison, and he probably, and the reason why he probably didn't kill Joseph is because Potiphar probably thought there might have been something a little fishy about this story that his wife was telling him. Nonetheless, God spared him. And so, he's the same man. Potiphar throws Joseph in prison. God causes the prison guard to favor Joseph. If you uh, look at that, uh, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And notice what it says. God gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So God, here it is. Here's the presence of God again. Here's God being the hero. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. 
who were in the prison. Notice what it says. Whatever was done there in prison, Joseph was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention. Could you imagine that? A keeper of the prison trusting a prisoner so much that he's not even going to pay attention to the rest of them. Only God could orchestrate something like this. And it says again, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph wasn't willing to sacrifice nearness to God. Remember the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 17. Jesus told his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. He says, but what are them, the one through whom they come? It'd be better for the one who's doing the tempting for a millstone to be hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. But notice what he says, Jesus says next. Temptation to sin, they're sure to come. So pay attention to yourselves. And then he goes right into your, if your brother. So what's he saying? I think he's saying this to his disciples as the church is getting ready to get going. Church, pay attention to yourself. And not just to... Me, you, your own person, watch out for each other. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. While we wait on our Lord Jesus, temptations to sin are sure to come. So pay attention to yourself and pay attention in humility and fear to each other. Many of Jesus' parables describe those who are waiting for Jesus, but they fell asleep. They got distracted. They decided to do non-Jesus things, if I could say it that way. And they figured it'd all work out in the, way when, in the end when Jesus returned. Many of Jesus' exhortations and the exhortations of the New Testament authors is about staying alert, awake, walking wisely, and being disciplined and self-controlled. And as it pertains to this story, here's what Proverbs chapter 5 says talks about adultery, this very thing that's, that's in Genesis 39, where, the, where the, the writer says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And at the end he says, The man who goes to that woman, he dies for lack of what? Discipline. He didn't stay awake. He didn't pay attention Escape is possible. And the escape is possible only through the one who was tempted in every way just as we are, but he is without sin, our Lord Jesus. Jesus understands the way of temptation more than you do. I don't care how strong my temptation or your temptation may seem to be. Jesus understands the weight of sin's temptation more than we do. He felt the weight of temptation more than we've ever felt, yet he was without sin. You can liken to it as a a champion weightlifter. A champion weightlifter who successfully holds overhead the heaviest weight in the contest feels the force of it more fully than one who attempted it yet failed. And that's kind of the idea here with Jesus. He felt the full weight of of sin's temptation to the very, and he faced temptation to the very end, and he knows, even better than we do, the grip that temptation can lay a hold of when it lays a hold of us. 
Every temptation Jesus faced, he was victorious. He is our victorious Christ. So escaping sin will take the presence of God through Christ, the courage to run to Christ, and the patience to wait on Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will make us a bunch of sin escapers, but Lord, we've got to confess, we, we, we don't bat a thousand here. We're not perfect. Maybe even this morning we've already succumbed to some sort of temptation. And so, Lord, we, we come to you and I come to you, not as Mr. Perfect. I come to you broken and needy. I come to you many times in my life wanting more intimacy with you. I come to you so many times in my life facing that temptation to give up something in order to give in. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would not turn us inward don't turn us to trusting ourselves. Don't, Lord, let us not trust in religious works or anything like that. But, Lord, may we all walk out of here just knowing what, what a great Savior we have, that when we come to you, you're going to come to us, and you're going to forgive us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.